on this episode, Favorite Overcrowded Hikes, Booties, and Hiking with Dogs. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. I'm super stoked today because we've got somebody who I, I knew of online uh, for, from her hiking blog in Utah. It covers extensive you know, trails throughout Utah. Uh, Alicia Baker from girlonahike.com. Alicia, welcome to the show. Well, I am not from Utah. I have now lived here, I think about nine years, but this is my seventh state. So I have lived all over. I actually used to live in Bozeman um, before coming here. Uh, we were there for five years. Uh, my partner and I both graduated from MSU, came down here for work, um, and probably won't be leaving anytime soon because of our careers and everything. So um, when I moved here, um, I'm coming from you know Montana, where there's not really any dog laws or leash laws or anything like that at least not when i lived there so coming to utah where there's watersheds you can or can't have your dogs leashed on certain days or certain canyons it was just like this is so weird and confusing if you're from out of state so when i was trying to research hikes i couldn't really find anything that that was specifically about dogs and if they were dog friendly trails or not or where you could take them you know it was very vague and a lot of mixed reviews when I would compare multiple websites. Um, so at the job I had at the time, I had a lot of downtime and I was pretty bored. So I decided, well, I'll, I'll start my own blog and I'm going to put on there what I want to see when I'm researching stuff. And that's just basically how it started was I needed to find, you know, I wanted to put out there the information that I was looking for and hopefully help other people. So I uh, I woke up in Bozeman this morning. <laughs> I'm not I'm not there anymore, but it is uh that, that's yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of funny to say that. And it's not just no laws yeah. about dogs. I don't think there's laws for like anything. I think it's just pretty much like a yeah. lawless a lawless state. <laughs> it, yeah, pretty much. So moving to Utah, where there's a lot of rules and regulations, not only with dog stuff but everything. It was just like, whoa! Like, how do I figure out all this stuff? You know. And, and now do your guy are your guides only sort of covering dog friendly stuff or do you ever do like hikes you know without dogs I do but the focus is definitely with my dog because I like hiking with him I like bringing him you know he makes it so much more fun and more of an adventure so there are definitely trips I have done where you can't bring dogs you know specifically like national parks mm -hmm. um, or permitted areas so I definitely have some of those on the blog um, but it's not the focus what's your what's your dog's name and what kind of dog do you have and tell us a little bit about your dog yeah so his name is charlie and he's about to turn 11 in about two weeks Oh wow! and he is a golden lab and i have had him since he was eight weeks old well i'm looking at him on instagram and i can tell he's a very good boy so um <laughs> <laughs> good boy <laughs> so alicia i know that we have at least two of the two of us hosts on the show are dog owners as well so severia has a has Betty, I've got Lucy and Farley, and uh, we were known to be out. We were out on the trail this weekend, actually, out in 
the Badlands Wilderness outside of Bend. And uh, it's just a great thing to be able to walk with you, you know, to do hikes with your dogs. And mm-hmm. um, and I have allergies. I should, I have allergies. Yes. So they, they, they have dogs. probably I have, have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, dogs love you. They that's do. That's for sure. They do. Yeah. yeah. They're good judges of character generally. But yeah. <laughs> They're like, ooh, I'm going to make you cough and, and, what, and your eyes dry. Break out into hives. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. jump up and down on you. <laughs> One of the things that I know my dogs love is when they can, when there's places where they can go off leash. Uh, not all, you know, mo- most places or a lot of places they, they don't allow that. You have to be on leash, and we always follow the rules for all of that. But um, that's one of the reasons that we we like to go to the Badlands is because one, there's you hardly see anybody. We saw we hiked six miles and we saw three people, I think you know, the whole time. And it was, it was awesome. So, and the dogs can go, are allowed to go off leash once you get, you know, a hundred yards away from the trailhead or whatever the distance is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that they just have a lot more fun and we have more fun and it's just a lot, a, a nice, nice experience. Um, well, I don't know what's, what it's like, what is it like in Utah? Do you have a lot of places where they can go off leash or, or do you prefer to keep them on leash for, you know, to protect the wildlife or are there other issues that you might need to consider for that? Yeah. So there, there are quite a few places you can have them off leash. Um, you definitely have to kind of dig and, you know, my blog has a lot of them on there too. Um, I'll, I'll start with the places where they have to be leashed. Um, so there's Mill Creek Canyon. So dogs can be, have to be on leash on even numbered days but they can be off leash on odd numbered days. So they kind of switch it up because there are some people who do want to hike with their dog on leash. Like if they're training or if they're puppies or, you know, their runaway dogs or whatever the reason is. So some people like having the on leash days. Um, There are a lot of, a lot of the trailheads and picnic areas and parking areas, you have to keep them on leash. Once you're kind of away from that, they're allowed to be off leash. That's a lot of the places here in Utah. Um, but some other areas like Unkin Fort Canyon is great. Um, it's set up, you know, leashed at the trailhead and parking areas. But once they're on the trail, they can be off leash. And there's tons of trails in American Fort Canyon. For some people, that might be a little bit of a drive. For me, it's about an hour 15. But it's worth it, you know, for the views to escape the inversion and, and let the dogs run around. And there's also a lot of water there, too. So in summer, it's a, you know, when it's really hot, it's a great place for them to go drink and cool off and, and be in the shade. So I, I love American Fort Canyon. Um, and then there's some areas, you know, along the Wasatch Front, like the Bonneville Shoreline Trail or the BST, as locals call it. Um, a lot of that, you can have them off leash as long as you're away from people. Um, and then another area that's about an hour, 15, hour and a half is called the Uintas. And the Uintas Wilderness is all off leash and it's just amazing backpacking terrain trail running terrain lots of water um but that also means that there's a ton of mosquitoes in especially like june july august they kind of start to die off but that's the one's downside of going to the uintas but that's a another great area so sometimes in utah you have to drive a little bit further to get where you want to go to get the dog off leash but it's so worth it for the views um and then Going further south to like southern Utah, so several hours away, you know, there's uh, like Escalante and Kanab. Um, both of those areas in Utah have a, 
a ton of um, off-leash options as well. So I love going there if I'm ready, you know, to, to see the desert when it's a little bit cooler. Both, both Lucy and Farley, by the way, have been to Mill Creek Canyon on one of the off-leash days when there was snow. And we did a snow hike there with my mom and my daughter and, and one of her dogs. So they, they, oh, they've awesome. enjoyed yeah, that it's area. A, yeah. It's a great place in winter. Yeah. So how long have you been blogging now total? Like when did you first start the blog? And have you seen sort of this medium of communication sort of change over the years since you first started? Um, let's see. I've had the blog seven or eight years. So whatever year that was, <laughs> you know, I don't remember 2015 or 16. Um, and I started on blogger.com. And then as my needs grew and I got more comfortable designing websites, I switched to WordPress, um, which also allowed for advertising as well. Um, and I could just do a lot more and offer a lot more to readers as far as interactive um, features and, and things like that. Um, so it's definitely grown over the years. I, I didn't really know if I would have stuck with it. I, I I thought I'll just try it for a few months, see how it goes. I never thought seven, eight years down the road I would still be doing it. And is this like are you able to support yourself just on the blog and the and your social media alone, or do you have you have a day job too? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh gosh. I no, was hoping no. I was hoping this you were like... gonna say yes. But I was pretty sure oh, you were gonna say no, but that's unfortunately most of the passion stuff is Yeah, that would be like my dream. If I could just fully support myself continue hiking, traveling, write about it and, and make money off. That'd be great. I make a little bit of money, but to live off of, no, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, I'm a web designer. Um, it's funny because, so I used to be an insurance agent for five years and that's when I started the blog. And when I started teaching myself how to do the blog, how to set it up the way I wanted it to look, um, that actually changed my career in, and I became a web designer after about two years of doing the blog. Um, there were a lot of other things that happened in that process, um, but it, it completely jump-started, you know, a whole new career for me. So, yes, I, I have to have a real job. That's what people always ask me, like, what's your real job? <laughs> you know? But it's funny because, well, now I'm a web designer and I, I build websites for other people. So it, it, they go hand in hand and it's awesome. I can't believe you'd want to quit being an insurance insurance agent. I mean, that's just like such a right? such a sexy, exciting profession, you know. Exactly, I know. <laughs> now, why don't we get go way back? Now, were you hiking and doing a lot of outdoor stuff before before you got Charlie, or was it sort of like you got Charlie and then yeah. oh, I got to be outdoors? What's your like history hiking and all that? Yeah. So yeah. So growing up, we would hike two or three times per year you know, car camp maybe twice a year. Um, but it wasn't something we did regularly, you know, as a family. I mean, we always played outside. Yeah, you know, I'm from the generation where my mom said, go play outside. Um, so that's what my brothers and I did. And so we would kind of explore like that. But like official hiking um, didn't really begin until I was in college, in Bozeman, actually, at MSU. Um, and because I, I had never been out west before, but prior to that, I had lived in the D.C. area. So I'm coming from you know, flatland East Coast where you have to drive like two or three hours to go hike. Um, well, besides, you know, Potomac Falls area, but, you know, to Montana where it's like, oh, it's only like a 15 minute drive to go hike. So when I was in college and I lived in the dorms, I made sure that I got my homework and projects done during the week so that I could hike both days on the weekend. And that's just where it started when I moved to Montana in college and then 
that just really got me outdoors. Um, and I wasn't blogging then. Blogging didn't happen until I had Charlie and I moved to Utah. So I've, I've definitely grown up with that background of outdoors and hiking. Um, but in college, I would say is when it really started. Oh, that's cool. Well, what a great place to do it. I mean, I, I mean, Bozeman is just so beautiful and all the mountains, the Galtons and all that. I mean, yeah. the, it's just such a pretty area to hike in. Yeah. And everything's so close too. Yeah. <laughs> We're just surrounded by them. <laughs> was it hard to leave? Was it hard to leave Bozeman? Did you, uh, I mean, or, did, or were you ready to kind of move on when you left? Um, at the time I was ready to move on and, and I do love, <clears throat> I do love Utah because, um, you know, you have the Wasatch and the Uintas and these big mountains, but you also have the desert and Montana doesn't have that. Um, so that's something I, I really learned to love here. It's like, okay, in the, you know, spring and fall, that's when you go down to the desert when it's like nice and cool and you can actually enjoy it rather than being 110 degrees. But, you know, Montana definitely has something special. We always thought we would, you know, move back or, or go back and visit. And we haven't been back once in nine years. <laughs> um, it just you know, career wise, it hasn't worked out for us to move back. And then I'm, I would be honestly a little bit sad and emotional to go back because it's been so long at this point that I have these like ideas in my head of how it used to be. And I'm afraid that if I go back, it's going to be completely different, which I have heard from friends that it is, you know, so it's, it's a bittersweet thing. Yeah. It seems different. You know, it's definitely like kind of more bougie, a little more like, you know, I don't know. It feels a little bit less like, like it, you know, I'd been there. I think the first time I went was like 10 years ago and it, it was kind of crazy to see mm -hmm. how much it had changed, you know, just over like 10 years. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but I have absolutely loved Utah. Like I said, you get the best of both worlds, you know, the short drive, relatively short drive just to get down to the desert. So <laughs> I like it here too. So Alicia, you have kind of parlayed what you've done with the blog and you've got, You've published two books now, right? Hiking Utah's County yeah. High Points and um, yep. Salt Lake City's Best 52 Hikes. So yeah, yeah. So I actually the, the high books. point thing is sounds really fun. I, I know I've done some high points, like state high points and some county high points and things like that. What got you started on that? And how you know, um, and the and the other book as well. Like, how does that work out? And when did that start? Yeah. Okay. I'll start with the first book, The Best 52 Hikes which is, I will say is only an ebook. It's not available by print. So you have to have a Kindle for it. And that was a good learning process for me to realize that not many people want to look at a Kindle <laughs> if they're going to go hike. So that one wasn't um, as successful, but I learned a lot of things that I, that I pulled over to the, the County High Points book. So the best 52 hikes was meant to go along with the 52 hike challenge. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but it's basically do at least one hike per week. So 52 hikes. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, well, let's do the best. Yeah. Carla Amador, who founded that, was on our, our first episode. Yeah. So <laughs> she was our first guest. So. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I took that idea and just put it in a book for Salt Lake City area. Um, and so that was kind of fun to like pick out, like, I guess my favorite 52 hikes in the area or, or which ones I would suggest to people and for what times of year. So a few years later, um, I didn't know I was doing the county high points until someone mentioned it to me like, oh, you've done whatever it was, like 10 county high points. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and they're like, well, the tallest peak in each county and there's like 29. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, that's that's a fun goal I could work on. 
and the first like four or five years I did it really slow like it wasn't really a priority but I wanted to get it done I just um I didn't put much focus on it and then um I met a friend or two who were also very interested in the peak bagging and they were working on the list so then it became a competition and in one year I knocked out almost half of them probably 15 peaks because I wanted to beat my friend. <laughs> so the competition definitely motivated me to like get them done fast. But what's so cool about the County High Points is that it literally takes you to every corner of Utah that you would never otherwise go to. I saw so much stuff and been to so many places I never thought I would without having that goal. And so if you're looking to kind of just branch out, go do some hikes where you're not going to see many people or run into people who are also working on the same goal. It's so cool to meet those people. I, I ran into several people who were working on the County High Points list before I had the book. And I just run into people on the trail be like, County High Point? Yep. You? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it just be like an instant connection. So it's just been really cool to put that together. And I self-published it. Um, I did it all on my own using Amazon um, publishing. You know, I, I did hire an editor and all that, but everything is written by me, um, placed by me, all the pictures, the routes, everything. So it was definitely a project, um, mostly out of love and, and to provide more information for people. But that it was it was a fun project. And it's been about a year and a half since I released that one as well. And my goal with that one is that I'll continually go back and make updates and, it, and I'll eventually do a second edition. Oh, yeah. Jeff's showing it in our little Zoom talk there. It looks very nice. <laughs> so what is the highest and the lowest uh, high point in Utah? Oh, gosh, you're going to quiz me. Yeah, sorry. Well, obviously. OK, so I say obviously, but you may not know. So the highest is King's Peak. So that's just over 13,500 feet. Um, and then the lowest, I honestly cannot remember. So maybe don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, you have to I, read, I you have to get the think. book to find yeah. out. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you buy the book and then you'll, you'll it. know. And yeah. then you'll know, yeah. It, so, it's so got to be one down in southern Utah, but mm -hmm. I, I honestly, I do, I cannot remember off the top of my head. I can't remember <laughs> there being any flat parts of Utah. You know, you always seem to be going up or down. No. And, you know, I don't, unless there's, I've been kind of around it too. I don't, I don't, I don't remember there being you know, some plateau-y kind of stuff, but that's pretty high. Yeah, it definitely. Looks like, looks like yeah, Bridger. Bridger Peak. Bridger Peak, okay, well, which, that's was, interesting which is 9,255. Yeah. Okay, so that's Rich County, I believe, which is one of the most northern counties of Utah. So that's kind of interesting. Nine, okay, nine, thank you yeah. for letting me know. <laughs> 9,000 9, sounds kind of high for like a lowest high, too. You'd think there'd be, yeah, like, that's what be, I was there'd thinking. be like a five or a 6,000 in there somewhere, you know, at least. Even well, only thinking, only yeah. five of the peaks in this on this list are under ten thousand. Wow! So a lot of high peaks. Okay. I, I'm kind of curious. Were there any like really technical peaks? Like I mean, you know, like it's one thing to hike to the top of a mountain, but if there, you know, did any involve any like scrambling or any more like class three or class um, four even? So I I personally wouldn't call them technical um, because there's no you're not on all fours. There's no climbing. Um, but King's Peak, the tallest one, does require most people backpack it, usually two days, three nights. Um, you know, ultra runners, whatever, they can do 31 miles in a day. But most people backpack it. So I would say that one takes a long time. 
Um, and then the last section is on a ridge, but there's nothing that you're scrambling. It's all hikeable. Um, that one is definitely takes the longest. And then actually right next door to it is Gilbert Peak. And actually, people, sometimes people will knock two out on the same trip because it also requires a two-day, three-day backpack trip. So it's actually a better idea to just make it a little bit longer, knock them both out on one trip rather than two separate trips, which is what I did. Um, I wish I had combined it into one, but I also got to see a whole different canyon and a different aspect. So, And was Charlie with you on most of these hikes or, or was he, were you allowed yeah. to bring him on most? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. He has actually done um, every single one with me, I believe, except for American Fork Twin Peaks, which is just here in the Wasatch because dogs aren't allowed. Mm. So he he did not do that one. Um, that one probably has the most technical um, aspect, I guess, actually, because there is a ridge that kind of freaks people out. Mm -hmm. If you're used to hiking on ridges like me, it's not a big deal at all. But my, I, one of my girlfriends came with me and she was just terrified. Like I really had to coach her through it. Um, just because there is quite a bit of exposure, but it's nothing that you need to be roped in for, you know, climbing holds, nothing like that. It's just high up and a little bit exposed. Cool. <laughs> and now do you, you have two books. Are you working on a third? Do you have an idea for a third? What, what's your next big project? No, not right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, so I guess my project has been trail running. I've converted to trail runner and I'm just really focusing on trail running a lot and um, not really putting a book with that by any means. So I've just kind of shifted focus because the book, you know, took up about a year, year and a half of my life basically. And I, you know, like I said, I did everything on my own. So it's been nice to have a break and completely switch things up and have a new focus and, and new projects to work on as far as trail running goes. Now, how does Charlie feel? How, how old did you say he was? He's getting up there a little bit, right? How does he like this this change? Yeah. Did he like hiking better, or is he is he uh, enjoying the, the <laughs> is the trail running fun for him too? Yeah. So he's almost eleven. Like I said, he'll yeah. be eleven in two weeks, and he's definitely slowed down. Um, you know, the max mileage I'll let him do is around six or eight, maybe as long as it's cold. In summer, it's more like four because he's just so hot or needs water. So. His mileage and time with me has definitely um, decreased, but you know it's because he's turning into an old man. <laughs> so I need to take it easy on him so that he lives a lot longer. That, that happens to the best of us, you know, turning into old men. It just, just kind of. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> so we always ask this, and it's a super unfair question. But do you have a favorite hike? <laughs> if you had to choose That's... one of your children, like to like more than the other yeah that that's so hard because utah is so varied it's like well do you want should i say a favorite hike in the mountains or a favorite hike in the desert like it's really hard to say and then i also don't obviously want to tell people because i don't want a ton of people going there so i like to keep that one to myself how about what's your favorite hike that's already overcrowded so you're not going to ruin it <laughs> what's your your favorite overcrowded hike <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, there's a lot in the Uintas, actually. Um, I've been I've been going backpacking into the Uintas for the last eight, nine years. And once COVID hit, I mean, the amount of people up there honestly tripled. The amount of trash doubled. It was insane how many people started going up there. So I, I love the Uintas and literally everything is now overcrowded up there. Um, but the views, you can't make, you can't beat the views. And 
and all of the water in the lakes for the dogs to swim in. So there's some really good ones up there. Um, I guess I'll name one, um, which is Naturalist Basin. It's so pretty up there, um, especially if you backpack, just hang out by the lake. But if you backpack and hang out at the lake, there's a bunch of little day hikes you can do from there as well. So. And do you tend to avo- just avoid the national parks in general because because of the dog restrictions and stick to like the more wilderness and national forests? Yeah. 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 I generally avoid the national parks because I can't bring Charlie, mm-hmm. and it's just too hard to find a dog sitter or, or pay for boarding. And like I said, I just like to do stuff with him, so I don't want to leave him home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I have done trips in each of the national parks. It's just very very rare. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have what are your your like big best tips for like camping hiking backpacking with with dogs do you have any sort <laughs> of uh what have you learned in your vast experience of with charlie that you know to, to share with our listeners yeah um i would say start out small especially if you're a newbie um whether you're car camping or backpacking just start out with something close and something small it doesn't have to be a 10 or 20 mile backpack you could go in you know two three miles to amazing lakes you know in the winters and still backpack that's still considered backpacking so don't be afraid to choose something that's you know short or small um so you can test everything out because if something does happen or let's say your dog gets too cold you can pretty quickly get back to your car and grab some extra gear if you if you brought it and take it back to camp it's not really that big of a deal whereas if you're 10 miles up in some canyon that's going to be a lot harder so just start out small start out with something close bring extra gear, just keep it in the car because you never know what could happen. Uh, one of the things that I do with my dogs is I like to keep track of their of the mileage. So just like when, when we're training, when I'm training for something, I want you know to keep in mind that they just can't jump off the couch and go do 10 miles, right? I mean, they have to work up to that. Yeah. Have you, do you have any advice for, you know, like preparing for hiking with your dog? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, um, thing to bring up is definitely like you would train for, you know, a half marathon or a marathon, you kind of work up in your mileage. Dogs have to do the same thing. Um, you know, we didn't start out with big backpacking trips when Charlie was a puppy. We started out with small stuff, you know, even hiking, you know, we would do two miles and slowly increase up to four and five or whatever. And the longest he's actually done with me in a day was 20 miles in the Uintas. Um, those days are long gone. I mean, he was probably in his prime, at age, you know, six or seven, and and he just killed it. But we definitely had to work up to it. And a lot of dogs' paws also need to get used to um, the different trail and terrain so that they can build up the callus on their paws. Um, I've taken some of my friends' dogs with me if they were out of town or whatever, and their paws end up bleeding because they're just not used to it. So, and it, it didn't even cross my mind. I'm like, oh, this dog hikes, they'll be fine. And no, the paw, you know, little pat- pads were bleeding. So that's something to keep in mind too, is like, just if, as long as you slowly increase mileage and, and the more time you spend outside, it's better for their paws to kind of build up that toughness. Um, and that should really help too. So just keep it in mind that they can't go from zero to 10, just like you can't go from, you know, couch to, to marathon. <laughs> Are you a booty or a no booty person? <laughs> he does not wear booties um, because he does have calluses and his paws are so tough. He doesn't need them. Um, and he also has short hair. So in winter, he does not get snowballs. Um, so he doesn't need booties for anything. The only time I, I do carry um, a, a, a really small pair, like as far as fabric, kind of like liners almost, 
the only time I have used them is for emergency purposes, like in Moab or where there's uh, slick rock or sand, and the sand got too hot on his paws. Um, so keeping an eye on temperature for dogs is also key. Like I said, in Moab, those rocks can be really hot even in the spring. So always test them with your hand, see how it feels, um, and then you know if your dog can tolerate it or not. No, no, we should probably bring up probably what Charlie's favorite part of this is. Like, what do you think? What about treats? <laughs> how many treats? What kind of treats? <laughs> like, you know. Trail snacks. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's actually allergic to poultry. Um, so it's a lot of dehydrated beef and salmon for him. <laughs> but yes, lots of treats to, to help keep him motivated. And does he have like a favorite post, do you get like a post hike meal or something? What do you give him? Like if you, <laughs> like when you dragged him on like the 20 mile, you went to hike thing. What, what, you know, what was waiting for him back at the, uh, back at the car? Um, I don't give him anything special because he has such a sensitive stomach. He only gets his, his kibble and like certain treats that I know work for him. Um, but that's, that's a good point to bring up actually, because when he does more mileage than normal, I actually feed him double the amount of food. So I just, you always have to think about like, okay, I just hiked 10 miles. Am I extra hungry? Then my dog is probably extra hungry. So I definitely give him more food. Um, I bring double when we backpack just cause he is working so much harder, you know, carrying his backpack, doing more miles. Um, so he, he gets to eat quite a bit more. Does he get hangry ever? Kind of like, you know, <laughs> no, not, not really. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Jason's projecting, I think. I it's, think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely I've get seen, hangry. I've seen Jeff I, hangry. I've seen it in action. Yeah. I've seen Jeff hangry I too. See. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on Instagram, it says that Charlie is a therapy dog. Can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of therapy dog and what he does? Yeah. So we became a certified pet therapy team. Almost a year ago, it was last February. And so my partner is a nurse. And when he worked at the hospital, um, we one time, I will say one time we snuck in to go say hi to him when he was working. <laughs> and he did so good and he was so calm and everybody was so happy to see him, all of the nurses. And so after that initial visit, this was months prior to becoming certified, I thought, okay, we're gonna be, we're gonna make this official, so I can, you know, legally take him into the hospital um, and visit nurses. So our focus is on nurses. So we'll go to different units in the hospital, and we'll just walk into the nurse stations and just be like, you know, hey, Charlie is here to say hi. Does anybody want to come see Charlie and and give him a hug or some pets? And they they just freak out. They love him so much, and it makes them so happy. Um, we will do patient visits if there are requests for that but that's not our focus. There are teams who do that. Um, but because my partner is a nurse, I like to focus on the nurses and make them happy. I love that. Cause you always hear about the therapy dogs with the patients, but I've never heard of it for the nurses. And I mean, they're in such a stressful environment that must bring so much to their day. They get so happy. It's amazing. They're like, wow, pet therapy really does work, you know, <laughs> like, or they'll be like, Oh, we, we, we rarely get to see the therapy dogs. They're always seeing patients. Um, and the other thing that Charlie loves too, actually is visiting kids. So specifically in the burn unit, there's always a lot of kids, sadly, and we'll go and walk around the burn unit and just say hi to all the little kids. And they just get so happy. They want to like help walk him on his leash, 
you know, I'll put treats in their hand and they can give him a treat. So they just love interacting with him and it just makes everybody so happy. So I like to joke that Charlie is transitioning into his retirement job part-time and, and this is what he's doing. So eventually he will be full-time, but hopefully not for a few years when he gets even older. Now, did you grow up with dogs? Did you have uh, dogs growing up or is Charlie your first dog? No, he's my first dog. Um, we had as a family, like kind of adopted dogs, but they would never stay more than a month with us. Um, it just wasn't a good fit for, for my parents. So we never really had a dog growing up. Um, it wasn't until one of my first boyfriends, I hung around, obviously hung around a lot with him and his dog. And I, I just saw everything that they did together. I was like, oh, wow, you can, you can take a dog hiking. You can take a dog camping. I was like, I want to do that. I want to have a dog for that. And so just seeing their relationship really inspired me to make, let me have my own dog. Um, so that's really where it came from was just seeing how somebody really loved and interacted with the dog because I didn't have that growing up, you know, it was just a dog that you kept outside and didn't really play with. So, you know, my first dog was when, after I had just graduated college in Bozeman. So Charlie was also born in Montana. And, and did you, uh, how did, is he a rescue? Did you adopt him? Was it just someone's like, Hey, we got puppies. Anyone want one? How, how did you, uh, how did yeah, you, you get lucky enough to, <laughs> to, to, to land Charlie? Yeah. Um, I had almost adopted like three or four other dogs prior through different, like, you know, humane societies or adoption or found them online or whatever, for whatever reason, they just didn't work out. And I was really sad and like crying because the, the last one I was supposed to get, it was a puppy that died from um, just its first vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're really sorry to tell you, you know, this rarely happens, but the puppy didn't make it. He had a really bad reaction and didn't, you know, didn't survive. Nice. So I was crying and all sad. And I was like, I'm never going to find a dog. So the next day I get online and I find Charlie online. And so I drive out middle of nowhere, Montana, and basically picked him up and, and drove him home that day. So just finding him online and he was the last two of his litter. Um, and his brother, I watched both of them play and his brother immediately went and started chewing on the mom's jeans. And I was like, I don't want to chew her. I'm not taking that one. So I took Charlie. <laughs> and so that's and how I ended up with him. <laughs> was he a chewer or no? Um, a little bit, just this, the usual beat kind of chew, but he grew out of it and we told him no. And, and he's not a chewer now. So is there, or is there origin behind his name? Not really. Um, every name that I liked or picked out started with the C. And when I got him, I had narrowed it down to Charlie or Cody. And when I put him in the car, I was like, okay, we have to pick a name for you. And I was like, I'll just see which one he reacts to. So I was like, Cody, Cody, like no response at all. And I go, Charlie. And he just goes, hmm? And he like looks up at me, gives me this look. And I was like, okay, you're a Charlie. <laughs> So he picked his own name, I like to think. My mom had a Cody two two dogs ago. Her dog was Cody and he was he was also oh. a very good boy. You know. Um Oh, yeah. I love that name Cody. Yeah. That's awesome. The worst dog on my allergies ever though. Oh my god. He was so sweet, but oh my god, it was just <laughs> It's it's hard to explain it. I would touch him like my hand to pet him, and you'd feel it, and you, I could feel it in my hand. It was crazy. He was so. Oh man. And he was such a sweetheart. You couldn't like help but pet him. So I just knew I was going to suffer yeah. every time I went and saw my mom. <laughs> so Alicia, you've you've sort of transitioned to do more trail running. Um, how's yeah. that going? And sort of like what what are you, do you have any like specific goals for your trail running, or you know what are your adventure or outdoor goals for the coming year? 
Yeah, so last year I did my own personal trail marathon in the Uintas. Um, I ran Red Castle in a day, and that was something I had really looked forward to for a long time. And just I just train on my own. I follow a, a training plan, um, but I do all, all my own runs by myself. That's just how I like to go. And um, did that in a day, and that was really cool. And I've kind of just had little mini goals, you know, throughout winter, but now... Um, my big goal for this year is that I am doing a 50K. Um, I'm doing the Bryce Canyon Ultra, which is in middle of May. And so that's what I've been training for right now. And I've never ran more than 26 miles. So <laughs> it's a, a fun adventure and something, you know, different to work on. And, it, and it's proving to be very challenging through winter for me because I find it hard to run, you know, in the middle of winter and with snow and when it's really cold and I today actually was my first like really nice sunny blue sky run and it was so nice to not have snow or like zero degree temperatures um so I don't know if I would sign up for one this early in the year again maybe something more like June July August would be better um but um you know some other ideas I've played around with are doing the Teton Crest Trail in a day um doing some more local runs that are longer here in the Wasatch in a day. I've just really enjoyed not carrying a backpack anymore. It is so freeing and so nice. <laughs> I've completely moved away from backpacking, which was like my life for the last like seven, eight years. That's all I wanted to do was backpack. And now, you know, my brain is like, well, I could just do it in a day and carry a vest mm -hmm. and be done. Like, how cool is that? So my way of thinking about it has totally changed and, and I absolutely love it. Um, well, Jeff and I did the Teton Crest Trail, what, a year, two years ago, a year and a half two ago? Years, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic, if you haven't not done in it, a day. Not in, not a, in day. a day. Not yeah. in a day. Not in a day, but, you know. <laughs> but one piece of advice, yeah, take the gondola. Take the gondola. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't hike, so off, don't hike also, off the highway. Don't do that. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah, my friends have also backpacked it, and they said the exact same thing, that they took the gondola, which cut out a section. Yeah, that section So I'll is, definitely have to research that. Yeah. We yeah, hiked that I, section. I, I don't know. I'm not sure that I agree with Jason on this. I, I kind of liked going from the highway and doing, the, like, the full route. But it's true that that first section is not the most beautiful. It's a slog. Yeah. It's a slog. Yeah, okay. It gets okay. like the trail gets way prettier when you reach the gondola. <laughs> like once you go okay. there, you're like, oh, this gets a lot prettier. Why did I just hike this 12 miles well, uphill, you know, and then, you know, through less pretty <laughs> things and when I could have just taken this gondola and, and, and you know, just started. That's where good to know. Pretty. So yeah. last year when I was training for my marathon, I did um, Alaska Basin in a day, which is on the other side yep. of the crest. Mm -hmm or on the other side of the Tetons. And it was just so pretty up there. Um, it just makes me want to go back and explore more because it was just like the best thing ever up there. So I, I'm not sure if that's like for sure on the agenda. If I do do it, it would be like September. Um, but you know, it's as you know, you've done it. It's like mm -hmm. 9,000 feet gain over yep. the whole 40 miles. And so I'd have to really train on the elevation gain part. I'm pretty sure I could do the mileage um, but it's the leg work and the mileage that that has me a little bit concerned. <laughs> so we'll see if that ends up happening. But definitely, if not this fall, definitely next year. Yeah, and, and be careful in September. Like we we timed it, luckily slash perfectly, and that it started raining and snowing on us when we hit the flat bottom part, walking to our car after like mm. finishing it. But it, it like 
Oh, wow. If we had been like a half day lower, we might have been trapped up there because of the right. snow. Yeah. The yeah, storm we, came in. Yeah. And we saw some trail runners like headed the opposite direction. And we we're like, oh, gosh, that's not a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's going to happen in any mountain range, right? That's always a possibility. True. Yeah. <laughs> so do you now, I mean, I guess he's close to retirement, but do you have like a bucket list trip that you want to do with Charlie? <laughs> like a, you know. Like a last re- trip before retirement, what, you know, or whatever. Yeah, what, yeah. what does Charlie want to go back yeah, and do? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I He's never been to the beach, so I would love to take him to some ocean somewhere, maybe Oregon coast, California. I don't know. But I think it'd be really cool to take him to the ocean and see, see what he does. That's my bucket list item for him. Just a little plug for the Oregon coast. There's a lot of beaches that are dog friendly and they can go off leash, so... Uh, that's that, what I've first, heard. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, the first time that our dog Lucy went off leash was at the, one of the beaches on the Oregon coast, and she, the look of pure joy on her face, just running up and down the beach, was <laughs> priceless. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Alicia, it's really been a pleasure getting to have this conversation with you and talk a little bit about your journey with Girl on a Hike and your adventures with Charlie and the books that you've published and the transition that you're making into trail running, which I won't follow you on. I'm <laughs> personally, I mean, I'll follow you, but it's like, I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been a great conversation and I, I uh, wish you continued success with your uh, blog and uh, many more happy adventures with your dog, Charlie. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been fun. Well, hey, Plug, where, how can people buy your books and, and find your books yeah. and, and find you online and everything? Yeah, both of the books are on Amazon. Just Google my name, Alicia Baker, and they should pop up. And they're also available locally here at the Gear Room in Salt Lake City and the Outdoor Army Navy store, which is kind of more like Taylorsville area. So two, two local stores, you can also find them. And then every all of my social media is just Girl on a Hike. There will be a lot Thank of pictures you. of Charlie in the show notes, just, just for our listeners <laughs> to know that. So. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash ATAP. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Mirror Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and more of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to environmental activist Brooke Cooper. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.